This is the Passion Lands Lotta Team Podcast, the top producing real estate team from New York City to the Hamptons. We bring you content week in and week out on all things real estate, finance, and lifestyle. Enjoy. What's up, everybody? We are back. It is uh, the Pesh and Lanzalotta team podcast. Nothing but the hits. Nothing but the hits. <laughs> Sound like I'm on a smooth jazz channel or yeah. something like that. I'm going to miss your uh, calling. Yeah, 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 yeah. So here we are. It's uh, April 19th. Um, we're still in an extremely tight market. It doesn't look like that's going to change anytime soon. Um, Third week in a row doing the podcast. I think that might be a record. No, we we we've we've done three weeks in a row. I think so. Yeah, maybe. But this is the new commitment. We're going to be here much often and and early and often, and and we're going to bring content every week. So we were actually just talking before the the show started. Mike and I both had the Rona. Um, but I had it back in January. I'm not sure when you had it. And, end of it? January. End I think, of yeah. January. Yeah, you probably ended up getting it from the team. Mm-hmm. Um, what was your experience like with it? It was, uh, I mean, it wasn't terrible. I had one, I'm trying to remember. I don't remember really, but I had uh, one night. Yeah, I, start, I started feeling it like 4 or 5 p.m. Mm-hmm. And just not feeling right. I think I was like tired, backache. And then I had a slight fever. The next day I woke up with a fever and like, I think the chills and I was really tired. I slept that whole next day. Mm-hmm. And then after that, I was pretty much fine. I don't think, I might've had a very low grade fever, like 99, but I think the fever was gone. I wasn't as tired. I just had, I had like backache, back fatigue for a while. Did you? That lasted for a while. Lower pre- back? High, lower back. Yeah. Lower back. Might've been kidney. No. Uh, maybe. I mean, how do you distinguish if your kidney's hurting versus your back? I don't know. I'm not a medical professional. Right. So I think for me, that was it. What about, I mean, what about you? So with me, it was interesting. I I hadn't gone out in a long time. Right. And finally my friends are like my college buddies. They're like, Hey, you know, let's, let's go grab, um, let's go grab dinner, like a holiday dinner. So we go out and again, I didn't spend Christmas with my family. I don't think I spent New Year's Eve with anybody. It was a very, very quiet holiday season. I don't even think we did. Uh, no, we did do. Um, this is because you're trying to stay we did safe do Thanksgiving. and not expose yeah, Well, if you remember just a few months back, mm-hmm. you know, the, there was... It was a pretty significant spike, like right oh, over yeah. that winter season, mm-hmm. right? I feel like everyone had the, it. The peak was the election, which is like the was the beginning of the year. Mm-hmm. So, I go to Bryant and Cooper with my buddies. It's like January second. I like how okay? that's going out, by the way. Like I yeah. haven't gone out in a while, and I yeah. finally went out. You went well out to because dinner. think about it. Like when's the last time? Well, uh, listen, we're it's just a different de- definition yeah. of going out. Well, we don't go out like we're kids anymore, yeah. right? We're not fist bumping anywhere. But if I look at the calendar right now, it was definitely January 2nd was, I think, a Saturday night. Yep, January 2nd, Saturday night. Mm-hmm. So we go out January 2nd. We get dinner. We walk into Bryant and Cooper, um, which happens to be easily one of the best restaurants on Long Island. And the first thing I noticed on the first one there, I'm like, wow, place was packed. Mm-hmm packed to the gills and it's not like it was like a young crowd it was the typical crowd there like the bryant and cooper crowd is is a very older sophisticated business Mm -hmm. uh crowd you know well-to-do people 
so it was, I would say the age demographic there was like 40 to like 60 and maybe even older. Like it, it was so it, complete disregard for the coronavirus and, and anything else that went with it. Right. So immediately they're not. And at that time, I think we were at like 40 percent capacity or 25 percent capacity. Something ridiculous. Mm-hmm. Not a single table was empty. Right. Packed to the gills. And whatever, you know, we figure we'll get over it. We'll just do the dinner. We had a good time. Sat down, followed the guidelines. The next Tuesday. Mm-hmm. So just a few days later. So that was Saturday night, Tuesday. My sinuses started to get like jammed packed. Mm-hmm. Like my head, like it felt, I just felt like I had swollen sinuses. And I'm like, ah, it's nothing. It's a winter cold, right? Mm-hmm. The next day. I wake up and I've got like this ever so slight tickle in the back of my throat. Mm-hmm. So now it's Wednesday and I have this ever, ever so little slight tickle in the back of my throat. And again, I brush it off as, you know, my sinuses were clogged. Maybe it's like some kind of post nasal drip. Mm-hmm. No big deal. It's all good. So then Thursday, I started to get a headache. And I still had that little itch in the back of my throat, which I was still chalking up to. Um, sinuses and then and then at that point I think I started to feel like maybe something's up and for whatever reason we didn't come in that Friday right what was because Melina from the team we had a team meeting was confirmed she had it I think it was yeah we had a team meeting Thursday team meeting and and she she called in and says hey guys I don't feel good. I'm yeah. getting tested. Yes. So then we kind of, everyone just kind of scattered. Right. So then that Friday night, I still don't feel good all day. I have a headache. And then we were going back and forth where we got that, we got that test at whatever that robotic thing was. Something, yeah. I it was the, the Rover or whatever. Yeah, Rover Health or something. Rover Health, yeah. So, so. We only got tested, though, because Melina said she got tested. Correct. Were it correct. not for that, you probably wouldn't have gotten tested. I would not have I gotten tested. I mean, I know te- I well, wouldn't have. Well, I'll tell you when I – well, so Friday night comes, and I've got this headache. And I'm like, wow, this is getting worse and worse and worse. I had, like, a headache for two days. Mm-hmm. And then, boom, all of a sudden, my hands and my feet got freezing cold really like that i've never just frozen mm-hmm. frozen okay so immediately i popped some tylenol and went right to sleep i knew i had spiked the fever and that's when i said to myself oh shit you got you probably have corona mm-hmm. so the next morning at nine o'clock we go to the testing site i get tested mm-hmm. and this was actually one of the most um kind of like one of the scariest moments for me was I'm sitting in my office and you send me a text message. All good. <laughs> Cause we got tested. We got tested this, like you were in line. I was right after you. And I'm like, Oh, that's cool. I should get my results back any minute now. <laughs> and then like five minutes goes by 10 minutes goes by 20 minutes, a half hour, 45, an hour. And I'm like, I got fucking Corona. Yeah. They, they're like running this thing through the fucking machine. They're like double checking it. I got the Rona. So then I get a phone call, uh, five minutes later that said, you have the coronavirus," And I said, Oh, that's fucking fantastic. So then I just basically hunkered down Mm -hmm. upstairs and then, 
my 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 fever basically bounced between like ninety nine point five and a hundred point five for mm-hmm. like four or five days after that. I actually got up to take a walk um, outside. This was where we're now looking back at it. Like I was sick. I must mm-hmm. have been sick. I did two laps around my backyard. Right. Walked in two circles around my backyard. And by the time I got done with the second lap, I had a migraine headache mm-hmm. and I had to go upstairs. And I fell asleep for like four hours. Yeah. Knocked me out. And then um, the, the weirdest thing for me was not realizing that I had lost my smell. Yes. You don't notice it right away. You didn't, you didn't notice that. So it's interesting when you lose your taste, you expect to, you know, you, you actually catch it because you expect to taste something when you eat it. Mm-hmm. Right, you put something in your mouth. The in your mouth, and the direct result of that is you taste it. With smell, you could just go through your day not realizing you're not smelling anything. Yes, yeah. So it was like a few days later. Like I was downstairs with a mask on. I have. I was like symptom free. I was feeling good. So I don't even know exactly when I mm-hmm. lost my smell. But I'm downstairs cooking a steak, and I realize I don't smell anything. Mm-hmm. And then my wife opened up like a, a jug of cinnamon mm-hmm. and put it under my nose. And she goes, you don't smell that? I said, nope. I smell nothing. <laughs> so, but fast forward, it's April 19th. I still don't, I still don't smell everything. Yeah, my smell is definitely messed up. I noticed, uh, I lost my smell too. Same thing. I didn't notice I lost it. And then I actually noticed it was gone because I couldn't smell my son's who was, you know, a year old. I couldn't smell his shit diapers. Yeah, the poop. Yeah, so... But yeah, I still it's still messed up. I still like coffee, like coffee, uh, ground coffee beans, still have like a very weird smell to them. And there's just certain things I know I'm not smelling. Um, like I can tell it's just dulled. I smell smoke for a while. I smell smoke now. It's well, that's scary not too. When now, you don't smell smoke. But, well, okay, so there's a difference. Like you don't you don't smell like a burning toast in the microwave. But you like there's this smell. Can we just? Uh, uh, well, how do you? Make your toast <laughs> in a toaster. Sorry, not in my grave. Um, there's this smell that like stuck with you, mm-hmm. like, like the the most the the thing that I like correlate it to the most is like a cigarette. Every mm-hmm. now and then, like I used to smoke years ago, and you'd smoke a cigarette and you'd get like this smell of smoke up your nose, and it would make you like you, your nose wants to like reject the smell, like it won't even let you breathe in. Yeah, like it, and that would like happen to me mm-hmm. with nothing around. Right. No smoke around. So it's, it, dude, it's different. I mean, it's different. And I actually went to the doctor three months uh, after the fact, a few weeks ago. And I had a full, all the blood work done because, you know, after you, you deal with something like that, you're kind of like, you know, maybe I should just get like checked you out. You get so sure freaked out because all the news and everything. Well, she said, she said that um, my, t- I still have the antibodies mm-hmm. and my titer for the antibody was very high. Mm-hmm. So she said, it's likely I had a very high viral load. So I, according to her, I was very sick. Mm-hmm. Um, no lung issues though for me. No, no I lung, didn't either. No lung issues for me, no coughing. Meanwhile, Rob had a lot of lung issues. My buddy Fish has Corona right now. As we How's speak, he doing? fine. He was drinking Johnny Walker Blue on the really? couch. No, yeah, nothing. He's not like a beacon of health. No nope. offense to him. No, no, not at all. But he, listen, he's clearly got a strong immune system. Yeah. It's not doing anything to him. But I wonder if he's, I got to talk to him. I wonder if he lost taste and smell. I did. I never lost taste. Taste got distorted for me a little bit. I don't think I lost taste ever. 
I was ta- I was tasting my coffee. Coffee tastes like soap to me for a little while. Yeah, that's not good. But that's it. That's it. But it is different. Like it, like a normal virus, you get sick, you spike that fever, you get over the hump, you're home free. Yeah, I was thinking about though, like I like most adults don't really get sick. Like how often do you, like other Never. than that, I don't remember the last time I got There's sick. There's one time as an adult that I remember getting sick. Mm-hmm. And it was it was like when I was like 22, 23. Right. And that, that's it. That's because your immune system's built up. You've gotten all the Ill- you've gotten the flu, strep throat. You've gotten all that stuff as a kid. Your immune mm-hmm. system is built up, right? But if you remember, because I was thinking about this, the first time you got all that stuff, like my kids, they they got the flu, you know, not recently, but years back. When they got the flu, they were like, they slept all day. They were wiped out for like even like the next week. It took them a full week just to get back to normal in terms of energy and stuff. Yeah. So while we were saying, because at the time we're like, wow, it's really weird. Like this thing just lingers. Like, I don't, is that because it's really weird it just lingers or is it, is it just because it just we forgot new? that's how it is to be sick with something new and that's just the normal Could be. reaction to it? Could be. You know what I mean? Could be. I mean. It definitely was weird. Different. But I'm thinking like if you had the flu, the flu wipes you out. Like the flu, you can't even, you, you sleep. If you go I haven't f- had the, I don't think I've ever had the flu. Right. So if you have, I mean, you, you wouldn't be able to go for a walk around your backyard. You'd be sleeping all day. You'd be really sick. Maybe even more sick. You'd feel maybe more sick. I don't know. It's it's different in every person. It's very strange. Very strange. For but sure. That, that was my my little uh, my little bout with it. Now I will tell you. Here we are in April. This past weekend, I'm on the soccer field. There's kids everywhere. There's mm-hmm. parents out now. Uh, we're really on the other end of it. I Which have is to good. Think. But were, were there uh, at the soccer field? The parents and everything wearing masks. They or? wear masks. Yeah. I mean, I have my man. Listen. I, I'm out. I'm outdoors. I'm six feet from everybody. I take my mask down. I, I'm not, yes, it's it, it's getting to be a little insane. I heard, I read um, Mississippi and Texas, which removed their mask mandates something like three weeks ago, or a month ago. Everything dropped. They yeah. have their lowest COVID levels they've had. Yeah, and Fauci doesn't have an, an explanation for it. I mean, listen, I'm not if if right if you want to wear a mask, wear a mask. It's fine. But if if they if masks worked then we wouldn't have had the numbers and the cases and everything in my mind. I think it's a I think it's a weather thing. I think it's I think it's cold weather. I think we'll see another spike of it in the in the winter. Right. I don't know that it'll be out of control, but we can't have mass every winter. It's crazy. Mm, I don't know. I yeah. think kid the kid thing is what forcing it on kids is what messes me up. Like you read in the paper that kids have the mental health issues are at all-time highs, whether it be anxiety, depression, suicide, Right. And then you think how much now part of that, you know, obviously, because because they're, you know, they're secluded. But but also, you know, when kids go to school, it's like you wear a mask like you can't see your friend's smile. You can't see the teacher's smile. Like imagine just look being a kid and looking and not seeing oh, facial def- expressions. It's 100 percent. Got to fuck with it's you. shaping them and molding them differently than than what they should be to a degree. Right. That's where I have an issue. With I will mask. say, though, we were playing soccer this week and the kids. They don't. They don't wear. They don't wear um, masks on the soccer field. Same thing. My kids had baseball and soccer this week, which is a whole just the uh, sidebar. Yeah, like you don't realize what a commitment Busy. these sports are. I was Busy. at. Paulie had a baseball game Saturday at nine thirty. 
And then Bo's at like 11.30. So I was literally on the baseball field watching four and five-year-olds play t-ball for like five hours Saturday yep, morning. Yep. And then soccer Sunday. Yep. So my little runs like every Tuesday, Thursday, and then once on the weekend, there's a game on Saturday. So it's Tuesday, Thursday, Saturday. And then Lily is practice on Wednesday. Mm-hmm. And then a game on Sunday. Yeah, my kids are starting to get really busy. They, they're, both in, they're both in soccer. They're both in T-ball. Uh, they go to swim once a week. Paulie has speech twice a week. It's starting to get to the point where, like, uh-huh. I can't even. I, don't, I can't even imagine once the third is old enough to start having activities. Yeah, there's no. You gotta hire. You gotta it's hire a, a full-time job. <laughs> is just gonna be getting them around yeah, yeah, to and yeah. from. Yeah, that's why. That's why you gotta wonder, like, how, how, how you know, you, you do have to wonder how how to how to like couples where both both parents are working do it. Yeah. Well, the weekday stuff, like the weekend stuff, most people aren't working on weekends, right? So I understand that. But, like, yeah, like they have soccer practice today at 4. If both parents are working, like, I mean, nowadays it's different. But at 4 p.m., usually both parents are going to be at work. Yeah, yeah. That's why it's a tough tough racket for sure. Tough racket. And you you don't want to miss it because it only comes around once. Right. Yeah. So, how, I mean, think about think about what we do. Right. How on demand we are sometimes when it comes to real estate. Right. I'm sure you get a phone call that someone wants to see a, a multi-million dollar listing on a Saturday. Right. When your son's game is. So how do you how do you handle something like that? It's tough. I mean, my Saturday, I had a clear Saturday and then Saturday afternoon, I ended up having to do two showings. Same thing. Not if someone wanted to see at 430, 11 Carmen Road, Dix Hills, a one point eight million dollar listing. I mean, what am I going to say? No. Build it around your schedule the best you can, I guess. That's, yeah. That's all you can do, right? And then you try. sometimes you try and make one day, like, all right, I'll throw everything in. I'll tell Sam, like, listen, I got to work one day this weekend. What do you prefer? She'll be like, work work Sunday. So I'll be like, all right, so I'll throw everything to Sunday, and Saturday I'll make sure. Because even though it's even if it's just a few hours on a Saturday or Sunday, it's still just, you're still working that day. So sometimes it's nice just to have the one day off and then work a full day the next day, as opposed to, like, just two or three hours each day. Yep. 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 Yeah, no, it's definitely a topic of discussion because at the end of the day, if you're successful but unhappy or if you're successful and your home life is suffering, it's definitely not success, right? Well, well that brings us to a good, uh, just a good segue to the topic of conversation. How, how do you become sustainable in this business? Well, is a, that's a loaded question. Um I think in the beginning, everyone starts off running around like a chicken with their head cut off. I right. think you got to take everything you got coming at you. And I think that there's a process. Um, you got to pay your dues, mm-hmm. right? Now, whatever those dues are, you got to pay them. That could be, I think for your typical real estate agent, paying dues is a five to seven year commitment. And I'll tell you why. The national statistic is that every five to seven years, people sell a home, mm-hmm. right? So the people you're selling homes to today there's a high probability that in five to seven years they sell that house and they move into something different. That number always surprised me. I feel like it's just not a lot of time. It's, it, I, I would think it'd be a little bit longer. It nailed, but it, it nailed me right on the head with my first house. Yeah. I wasn't even thinking about it, right? I bought my house at 25. I ended up in my second house at 30. Same with me. Yeah, no, same with me. It's just surprising because when you buy a home, you're thinking it's going to be for a longer term period. Yeah, like that. right now in my house, I'm thinking this is going to be my forever home. I might be out of there in two years, three years. How long have you been there already? Uh, three, probably f- going on four years. All right, so no three and a half. Year, three and a half years would be seven. Three, three to four years, something like that, mm-hmm. I think. 
So it might play out again. Yeah, it might. I mean, listen, you never know. I, th- I think people, what people don't realize is five to seven years is a very long time. There's a mm-hmm. lot that's cha- that changes in five to seven years. Five to seven years ago, you had no kids. In five to seven years, I'm going to no longer be in my 30s. I'll be in my 40s. It'll be, be a much different time in your life. Five years ago, no kids. Seven years ago, not married. Really? That yeah, seven I think years that's later. both of us. I think that's both so of us. So in seven years, we got married and each had three kids. Well, my daughter's six, so no, that's not possible. I was married seven years ago. And you've had three kids. Yeah. This I was on, Seven years ago right now, I was on my honeymoon, probably. So in seven years, you went from not married to married three kids. So a lot, a lot can change. A lot changes, yeah, and, and in a different house. Whoa. <laughs> Where'd you go, Ron? <laughs> um, yeah, seven, seven years... Uh, All right, but so you were explaining that you think it takes five to seven years. I think it takes five to, to seven become, years what, sustainable to or build your build to, the actual business. So I th- so here's the deal: you need to hunt business to get started, right? Mm-hmm. So hold on, let me get situated. You need to hunt business for a little while. Mm-hmm. Now, what is hunting business? Hunting business is your lifestyle. Is this is why getting into this business in your twenties is is like key. It's like it's like the most important piece to the puzzle. I think. Because I think starting this later on in life, if you have a family around you, very hard to do. But, it's hard to work-life balance. But I think for the first five to seven years, you are making phone calls from, from 8 to 11 in the morning. You're calling FISBOs, expired, circle prospect. Mm-hmm. You're also making phone calls from 4 to 7 at night. Mm-hmm. FISBOs, expired, uh, circle prospecting. Mm-hmm. And you're just loading up your database. You're doing business with people. You're closing deals. You're taking those people and you're putting them back into your database to remarket to them, mm-hmm. to stay on them, right? And touch them every now and then. You're circle prospecting your database to get on the phone with these people and ask for a referral every three to six months, mm-hmm. right? Of all past clients. Now, when that client database gets to a certain level, mm-hmm. that's when the referrals start to take over your prospecting business. Now, I think to a certain degree, you always have to be prospecting. If you're not filling that funnel, you're dying. I agree with that. But I think when does the business start to get easier? It's at the five to seven year mark. That's when all of your previous buyers and sellers, so long as you've done the right thing and stayed in touch with your database, that's when that that business all starts re, remarketing itself to you. So how do you make it to the five to seven year mark, though? Because that's a long time to even make it till that point. Well, I mean, maybe the best way, and I think I think that path is different for everybody. So mm-hmm. I think for us, I think you and I, we had a lot of natural natural born sales skills. To be honest, I think we're, we're better than the average salesperson. We're also corporate trained salespeople. So we understand sales. Mm-hmm. So when we got into this, we we understood a lot of things that a lot of people don't understand right out of the get go, right, right out of the gate. So it depends where you are, how much money you have behind you, right? And that all depends upon where you begin. If you're right out of the gate and you've got a lot of learning to do, honestly, best thing for you to do is join a team. I agree. Join a team, be a sponge, sit all the open houses, 
just get to know people, mm-hmm. get belly to belly with people, learn how to talk to people, learn how to uh, influence people, learn how to connect with people, learn where you learn your geographic territory, you know, where you are. Like Long Island, there's so much to it. You've got the South Shore. There's a certain buyer for the South Shore. There's, you know, boating on the on the Great South Bay that's different than the North Shore. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? There's you have the beaches. It's everything is different. There's all these idiosyncrasies and things to learn along the way that if you have if you have the knowledge of if you have the knowledge of where you are mm-hmm. and then you have the sales skills, mm-hmm. you're ready to be your own agent. And then from there, you've got at least five to seven years. Well, the other thing is too, if you have, you have, you need to have the lifestyle of the ability to be patient until it actually all kicks in. Cause mm-hmm. if you, if you need money from day one, because your mortgage is due or your bills, whatever, to your point of starting in your twenties versus your thirties, it's it's not there's no company writing you a weekly paycheck. Yeah. So you need to set yourself up, whatever that means. There's so there, that you can actually make it through that that initial period. Kevin O'Leary has a fantastic uh he has a fantastic quote about salaries. He says, um I'll find it, give me a second. I'll find it. Oh, a salary is the drug they give you to forget your dreams. Right? Mm-hmm. So you're 100% right. You need to have a, your obligations have to be low. I don't I, I don't see a situation where you could take a guy who has a minimum requirement and that person can can do this job tomorrow. No. I just don't see that being a possibility unless the wife works, the wife, the wife's salary is sufficient to carry the household and then they have benefits. You need, you need to be able to carry yourself with no income, I think for six months. Yep. Yep. And then even after that, it's not like you're making a ton of money each month, but at least you'll have, you'll get by, you'll, you'll, you'll just get by. And then eventually the deals start to snowball. You have, you know, one closing a month, mm-hmm. two, then three, then four, and then right. the money is endless. Right. But and and I think the I, I don't think there's any business that rewards somebody for having stuck with it quite like this one. I don't know about that. I mean, I think I think if you stick with anything long enough, you're gonna be successful. I don't know about that either. I disagree. So there, I know a lot of people that stick that stick with a job and it never pays them more. Well, that's yeah, that's like the salary. With thing. this, it's exponential, in my opinion. Well, this is you're a business owner, so I think if you start your own business and you don't quit, I do think how it, many it ends how up many how off. many corporate America how many corporate America jobs you get to a certain plateau, and then they basically they start cutting you. Right. Well, that that's where the right. Kevin O'Leary quote comes in. The salary, the salary is what they pay you to forget your dreams. If you start living off that salary, meaning whatever, make up numbers. You make ten thousand dollars a month, and every month you spend that ten thousand because of living expenses. 
then you're essentially being paid to forget your dreams. The, the salary model works is if your living expenses are 5,000 a month and you take that extra 5,000 and you save it and you slowly invest it into whatever, stock market, real estate, anything, starting your own business on the side. Mm-hmm. To me, that's that's the only way that makes sense. Yeah, otherwise you're basically a slave. I mean, they're paying you, but it's, it's slave labor still on my mind. Yep, so again, you're a young guy. You don't have any anything that anything you need to any thing anyone you need to answer to. You could live without making a, a lot of money for a long time. First thing you do, you get on a team. You learn. Mm-hmm. You stay the course. You sit open houses. You get to know people. You get to know the environment. Then when you're ready to break off on your own, you start. You, you you grind every day for five to seven years. And hopefully by the time that five to seven year mark hits, you're like 30 to 32 years old. Yeah. And then that's when the money starts to flow. Well, not even in my mind, even if you started right out of college, which is a whole nother discussion of, you know, if, if college is even worth it. But you five to seven years, you're still 26 to 28, mm-hmm. which is yeah. huge. Now, how, in your opinion, what, what, uh, we we also both know you have to quote unquote list to exist. It's all about listings, right? Right. I, I believe that wholeheartedly, but I do believe buyers are just as important because we're seeing it right now in market shifts. You need to be you need to be versatile is really what it is. I don't think it's necessarily that you have to list to exist. I think you need to be able to do both things. You need to be an agent who knows how to uh, work with you know, three to five buyers at a time and be moving them off your plate with accepted offers mm-hmm. and at the same time have a few listings and, and, and be able to get those sold as well. If you could multitask and not pigeonhole yourself into one or the other, I think, I think that's where the real success lies too. I agree. Well, first of all, I think it's stupid to pigeonhole yourself to one or the other because it's buyers are 50% of the business, sellers are 50% of the business. So if you pigeonhole yourself to one, you're missing out on literally 50% of the potential Mm -hmm. revenues that Mm -hmm. could come from your business. So it doesn't make sense to pigeonhole yourself. I think to me, you have to list to exist. The reason that is, is because that's, it's about leverage. You can leverage a listing Mm -hmm. in terms of, so once you get a listing, your sign's in the ground. Other people are seeing it, right? It's like a storefront you just opened up on that block in that neighborhood where other people are seeing it. So other other homeowners in the area are seeing it. Yep. Uh, if you do open houses, you put open house signs in the neighborhood, right? They're seeing your name, you're what's, building your brand. What, what's the address of our first listing? Uh, our first listing was in Port Jeff. Um, oh, I'm drawing a blank. One, is it 110? Close, 10? close. Something like that? Close. Uh, the reason I remember it is because it's so like simple. It's 123. Yes. One, two, three. Arlington. Arlington. Yes. So yeah. one, two, three, A is how I remember there it. There you go. Ahead. I never thought of it like that. Yep. Yep. But yes, yeah, so then you'll never forget your first listing. Yep. But um yeah, so so it's it it helps build your brand, it helps with brand awareness, but also now you have the market coming to you. So like I, I did an open house this past weekend. I had sixteen unrepresented buyers come to me. So now I have 16 new leads, right? Mm-hmm. You talked about you need to build your database. Mm-hmm. Well, that's 16 leads I get to put in my database. So, and, and then when you're done, you can ask the seller for a referral. When you have a buyer, all you could do is ask for a referral when you're done. There's no sign in the ground that other people are seeing. 
uh, other other sellers in the area aren't seeing your name. Other, you're not running into other buyers, right? Because you're helping that buyer find a specific house, which is what you should be doing. But a listing is something you can leverage for all the reasons I mentioned. Yep. And that's why you have to list to exist because it just helps continue to build your business. The other thing is you could carry 15, 20 listings at a time by yourself and manage that. You can't be running around with 20 different buyers in one shot. It just doesn't work like that. And service them all correctly, right? it's not possible. However, Although in this market, it's tough. It, <laughs> in this market, it's tough because if you have a listing in this market, if you list a house in this market, you're doing like 10 showings a week. Yeah. Right? So historically, yeah, you have a listing. It's great because you know, it, it's your listing. You have it in contract for six months. You do a few showings a week. And you have plenty of time to do other stuff. Nowadays, you get a listing. It's You dedicate all of your time that week to that listing, then it's sold, and then you move on to the next. So yep. I don't know if you could handle. You can't. It, well, no. I mean, unless they're very, very high end, and then it's just a different ball game altogether. It's almost actually. I'm thinking about what you said in this market. I'm almost. I have like 15, 20 buyers I'm working with that I'm able to manage because it's pretty much nothing new is coming up. So like every week, you know, I'm not having to take them out to too many houses, but the listings are what's eating yeah. up a lot of time. Now if now if the market flips and there's a ton of listings out there and they want to go out and, and 10 different people want to go out with you in one then weekend. Then you can't handle the buyers. Now you've got a problem, right? right? Um, also, it's different. Sorry. It's because it's, it's actually crazy. It, yes. You've always listed because buyers are hard to manage. Uh, listings, you can manage more of them. But in this market, it's flipped. Also, with the pandemic, it's flipped a little because it used to be if you had a buyer, you had to take them out nights and weekends. So there's only so much time to do it. But now everyone's working from home. There's a lot of buyers that are like, hey, man, I'm home. You know, let me know. It's fine. So you can actually take out buyers, you know, between 11 and 3 p.m. during the day. So it, I'm just thinking about it as we're talking. It actually is easier mm. to manage buyers right now than, than it was traditionally. Now, here's the other thing about buyers, right? I mean, I, and now correct me if, if you think I'm wrong or if you disagree. But in my opinion, uh, being a listing agent is a business transaction mm-hmm. um, from the listing appointment you're selling them, right? You're get, you get that listing. They want to see results. It's, it's a business-oriented transaction. When you go shopping with someone to mm-hmm. buy a house, I think a friendship forms in that process. I think you're probably more likely to develop a referral from a buyer than you are a seller. You agree with that? Yeah, I agree. I, a buyer, just like you said, uh, when, when you take on a listing, you, you sit down with them initially for an hour to two hours. You have a nice conversation, right? And you get paperwork signed. From there, you do photos. And then from there, you start doing showings. And that's it. And then after the showings, you're providing feedback, but you're really not spending a lot of time with that seller. Uh, with the buyer, it's you're spending a ton of time with them, to your point. You're driving around. You're going to see houses with them. So you're walking through houses together Every time you're spending, every time you walk through a house, you're spending 10, 15 minutes with them. You're talking with them. Afterwards, you're talking about it. You're just spending much more time together. And that just, just the, the increase in time spent with each other facilitates a deeper relationship. So most people start their, their, their career as a buyer's agent, and then they naturally progress into a listing agent. Now, what core competencies does someone need to have to be a strong listing agent 
Well, you need to know the market, right? You need to be knowledgeable on the market, on price points. Mm-hmm. Uh, you need to be knowledgeable in terms of what buyers are looking for. When you say market, local market, correct? Yeah, and just general. Yes, local market. Local in that neighborhood, but also for us, it's important to know, like if you're selling a house in Massapequa, it's great to know Massapequa, but then Nassau County and Long Island overall too. Mm-hmm. You know, in, our, in Long Island, it's it's local enough where you can even reference the whole island. Right. Right, but definitely definitely the specific county in the county. Now, county. what about macroeconomics? Well, so, like when we're talking, when we're on a listing appointment and we're having conversations about mortgage forbearance and the mm-hmm. Biden administration and what's to come, right? Mm-hmm. Having some kind of competency in macroeconomics, I think helps strengthen our case when we're in these listing appointments. You agree? I agree. Yeah, I agree. So it's, I was actually thinking about this because Kristen, one of the members of our team had to go on a listing appointment last night by herself and I was trying to help her just get prepared for, for it. And I actually, I got to thinking that it all comes down to, and I think I mentioned this last week, the Jordan Belfour model of establish yourself as an expert in your field. If you do that off the bat, you automatically gain gain credibility. It's why, you know, as the broker owner, when Emmett walks into a listing, it's he doesn't have to put on this great big presentation because he's the broker owner of yep. Berkshire Hathaway fr- Home Franchises, right? Yep. It's automatic credibility. So why? He, so doesn't getting back to, to, he doesn't have to earn it. Right. So getting back to the point. So so for us, right, we're not the broker owner. So what's the thing that helps establish you? What's something that helps establish you as an expert in your field? Well, it's being knowledgeable in the macroeconomic market, right? Yep. So just talking about that stuff that you're intelligent, you know, what's going on in the economy, you know how all these variable variables are working together and, and, and the cause effect relationship that establishes you as an expert and a professional. And that's why it's very helpful and important. Yeah. I think, I think that, that to me is one of the biggest things, right? You need, you need to know how we got to where we are and where we think it's going. And like you said, the cause and effect relationship of all these things intertwined, low interest rates, supply, demand, um, politics, politics, uh, you know, salt deduction, taxes, yeah. you know, you need to understand also the financial piece of it, right? Especially when you're talking to very high net worth people that own very expensive properties, right? What's your cost basis in this property? You know, what are you into it for? Um, what's the opportunity cost that if you sold this property that you, know, you could take that 5 million bucks and, and go invest it here or there. Can you make twenty percent of that money? Because right now it's sitting in this property, making you no money, right? So it's the, all these things really contribute at the end of the day to being a stronger and stronger, more well-rounded listing agent. And at the end of the day, the more competent you are, the higher the likelihood, or the the the, the better the odds are in your favor that you're going to be able to walk into someone's door and walk out with signed paperwork. That's a part of the business that I, that we really take for granted too, just given our background in, in sales, mm-hmm. is that right? a lot of agents, they, they struggle with how do I find a client, whether it be buyer or seller, but we're talking about listing, so a listing client, right? They don't even know to hop on the phones. Then if you hop on the phones, mm-hmm. well, how do you actually have that conversation to schedule an appointment, right? But then from there, once you go on the appointment, that's tough too. Like think about a lot of agents, they're walking in on appointments. I can't even imagine what the hell, they're, what, they're, so, what they're saying so or what for, they're doing. So for me, I can't relate to that because this is all I know. Like for, from when I was a kid, I was, I was a salesman. I was telling my mom as to why I should, you know, uh, 
why we should do X, Y, and Z, why I should be playing this sport instead of that sport. I mean, to me, it comes very naturally. But the more and more we work with people, the more we realize it doesn't. You well, know, not it's even not that, everybody's but it, strength. It took us time to develop the presentation we have now. It mm-hmm. was developed over probably what we have now was probably developed over the course of three years, right? Mm-hmm. But so just think about, I mean, even if someone forget about not having the sales skills, but like what they don't even know what to talk. They don't have a presentation. Well, well I think, mo- the, yeah, it, it, well, it's right? process of elimination. This is why I'm saying it takes five to seven years to get really comfortable. So we probably went on three years worth of listing appointments is what it took. And we were going on a good amount of listing appointments. It's not like we were going on an appointment a month. So three years worth of listing appointments, probably over 100 listing appointments, definitely over 100 listing appointments, it took us to fine-tune the current presentation. Now imagine you're an agent getting started going on one appointment a month. It takes a long time. It'll take you 10 years to fine-tune your... It takes a long time. That's why you need to get on a team. You need to witness it and see it and digest it Mm -hmm. before you do it. There's a whole process. And there's a lot to learn. You need to... Again, you need to understand what's happening around you, cause and effect relationships. Then you have to work on your sales skills. Listen, most people get into real estate. I don't know why they they well they think it's they think they're going to make big money. They think they're going to get in. They're going to show houses. It's going to look like million dollar listing, and they're going to be a gazillionaire, and that's yes. the end of it. But the reality of the situation is, is a very small percentage of of the agents that are in the market are actually doing like 90% of the business, right? Oh, and, yeah. and why? Because that small percentage is the percentage that has sales skills. That's, That's the it. Key. That's it. That's all you, it comes you down to. You could do the first part, right? You could be really knowledgeable about the market and the economy and all that. But if you don't have sales skills... If you don't have the ability to influence people and ask for the business at the end of the day... You got. You have nothing, mm-hmm. and this goes. This goes. This translates to all businesses, right? If you want to be a doctor, you want to be a good doctor. Great. You might be the best doctor in the world, mm-hmm. but if you are not a sales guy, and if you can't market your practice, you are not going to make it. Because well, that, there's lesser doctors mm-hmm. that are not as good at the surgery, mm-hmm. but they are really good at marketing. Well, that's where. So you're a listing agent. You have a listing. You have a buyer, unrepresented buyer, come through, right? You have basically 10 minutes, mm-hmm. right, to show and sell them that house, but also 10 minutes to sell yourself so that if that house, if they don't want to buy that house, you can now pick them up as, as your client right. and help them buy something. There this you go chair. again. This chair. <laughs> um, yeah, no, I agree. So, so that's interesting, right? Like it, it comes down to sales. That's so all had, it is. How do you learn sales? Do you think anyone given enough, yes, you enough work and effort can learn sales or do you think it's something that, you know, either you're born with or you're not? I think some people are born or natural born salespeople. I think, I think you can drop those natural born salespeople into any scenario and they will figure it out Mm -hmm. just with their natural born God given talents. Mm -hmm. Some people are not afraid to talk to other people. They're very socially aware. And then I think there's a group of people that are not so, talented but can learn and then there's some people who just are not built for that kind of thing what does it take to learn if you're one of the not talented people is it just what is it role playing is it just getting your face beaten in over the course of three years i mean what what would you say to someone who's like can get there is just not there yet like how do they do study it? your scripts know what the blueprint is mm-hmm. and then you need your ten thousand hours 
you know, 10,000 hours, your 10,000 at bats. Mm -hmm. And that's when you'll get good at it. Right. You may never be as good as the guy though, who just has the, the God given gift to get like a Frederick Eklund. Never. Like I, I don't, I've never, and I don't person. even, I don't even know that he's a good sales right. guy. I just know he's a good entertainer. But here's the thing: if I put you on that same show, you might not be as entertaining. Well, he—you might be a better salesperson. Right. You don't know. But I that was his route, right? His route was—he's comfortable. He in got. That role. He, he's comfortable in that role. His life's on the on a grand stage, mm-hmm. you know. And now he's talking about instant credibility. That's how he gets to where he is. He just opened stage. up in Texas too, by the way. Yep. I don't know if you saw. Just keeps going. It's wild. Keeps going. So, all right. So, let's circle back. One last time, we'll go through it. You need to have certain strengths as a listing agent in order to become a listing agent. You need to know how to sell, first mm-hmm. and foremost. You need to have local local market knowledge. Mm-hmm. Uh, you need to have macro knowledge. You need to have you need to be paying attention to the news and the things that are going on in Congress. Mm-hmm. You need to understand finance. You need to understand what people could do with the money that they have buried in a home. A home is essentially an asset. It's a part of someone's portfolio. Mm-hmm. So you're no different than a wealth manager to a certain extent, right? right? You need to be able to tell. You need to be able to direct them how to, uh, you know, uh, what to best do with their money to to make to maximize their return. Um, and, and once you've got all these things learned mm-hmm. and mastered, then you can come up with you know, a compelling argument to pitch to people to have them work with you, whether it be on the buy side or the sell side, Mm -hmm. but you want to transition to the sell side after you're in the business for a certain period of time. Correct? Yeah. Well, not, yes. You want to transition that in that you're focused on getting listings because if you're getting listings, the buyers will come. Like I said, because the buyers are going to come to see your listings. So you'll do the buyers too. If you focus on just the buyers, then how are you getting your listings? Yeah. You're not. Right. That's the answer. That's so that's that's the thought process behind Correct. it. Correct. Correct. All right. So that ends that discussion. Let's head over to the news because we're actually, believe it or not, forty six minutes in already. Okay. Went fast. <laughs> um, all right. This one's interesting to me. Google searches reflect consumers' market angst. This is all real estate related. Mm-hmm. So Americans are increasingly turning to Google to find answers to their housing questions. The phrase, when is the housing market going to crash, has surged in Google searches by 2,450% mm-hmm. in the last month. Consumers are also searching for information about why is the market so hot, doubling in the last week, and how much over the asking price should I offer on a home in 2021? Which increased by 350% in Google searches that week. So why is the market so hot, Ron? So, okay. So the market is so hot because there is absolutely no inventory. That's number one. Um, But there's a big argument that this is not a bubble. I would agree. And they're arguing it's not a bubble because people have a lot of equity in their homes with Mm -hmm. market appreciation um, and... uh, and the fact that you know, all, you know, since two thousand eight, two thousand nine, there's been a lot of, you know, discrepancies with you know people having to put down a certain amount of money and they have to meet mm-hmm. a lot of requirements, et cetera. Um, 
the nation has 1.03 million homes available for sale, which is a record low. So nationally, there's a record low amount of homes for sale and far from the peak of more than 4 million during the, ha- during the height of the last housing bubble in 2007 of July. Right. So it, there was 4 million back in 2007. There's 1.03 million now. According to NAR data, the total active listings were down 54% last week compared with a year ago. Well, that's, yes, but also that's a little bit misleading because last week was early April. The entire country was, was locked down. Well, think down. about it. So I was actually going to say that. So, so it's down. It's down compared to last week. Oh. Last week, a year ago. A year ago. ago. But a year ago. We were locked down. We were locked down. Right. So, of course, it's, of course it was. So, so it's lower. It's lower than it was a year ago. Active listings? Yes, total active listings were down 54% last wow. week compared to a year ago. So in a locked down environment, there we was had more, more listings than we do now. Yeah. Wow. That's pretty crazy. That's sick. Well, that's what's driving this market is supply demand. Yep. Yep. Uh, buyer demand rate remains high for a limited number of homes for sale. 42% of homes are selling uh, for more than their list price at the start of April. So 42% of ha- people are listing houses for more than they're supposed to sell. And still 42% of those homes are selling for more than their list price at the start of April. A 16% point increase compared to the same period a year earlier, according to housing data uh, from Redfin. Um, <coughs> so I don't think, just to talk, the other question in the article is when's the housing market going to crash, right? No one can predict the future, but I agree with you, which what you said is that I don't, this is this does not seem like it's a bubble. It does not look like the housing market's going to crash. The supply de- demand dynamics are going to eventually even out, you know, whether that's sooner or later, we'll have to see. Mm-hmm. And and prices will level off. But really, in my mind, the only way this housing market crashes is if is if the dollar loses its reserve, uh, its status as the reserve currency of the world, because then the American Economy so this crashes is, this and is then a good segue. This is a good segue. So this is interesting. Foreign investors compete for U.S. suburban homes. Right. So, okay. On a global macroeconomic level, mm-hmm. other countries are trying to figure out where to park their money and wealthy people in other countries. And they're looking at the housing shortage in America and they think it's a good idea to buy residential property in America as an investment. Think about that. So foreign investment firms are reportedly making a big play for single family mm-hmm. homes in American suburbs. Um, these overseas investment firms traditionally have targeted office buildings, hotels, and shopping centers internationally, but they are seeing promise in buying or building rental homes by the thousands throughout the U.S. The Wall Street Journal reports they're targeted suburban neighbor homes near big cities like Atlanta, Las Vegas, and Phoenix. Um, Last month, Alliance SE, a German insurer, said it was investing to buy more than $4 billion of U.S. rental homes. Mm -hmm. Canada's public sector pension investment board, in partnership with Premium Partners LLC, is buying $700 million or around 2,000 U.S. homes. So let me ask you you this, and it says, foreign investors are being drawn to the single-family rental market for the Mm -hmm. same reasons that the U.S. investments are. 
Uh, they're taking notice of the desire for renters to have more space, access top suburban schools, mm-hmm. and accessibility to suburban housing as the limited supply uh, for new houses and high prices may be preventing uh, from some being able to buy. So do you ever see a time in the future where you're trying to sell a house and, and not only are we selling it to these companies, mm-hmm. but you living in your neighborhood in Massapequa Every other home is a corporate-owned home being rented out by some corporation. So we spoke about this last week, and I, I think in Long Island, listen, maybe at some point, but in Long Island, it's going to happen. There's a lot of other places in the country where you're going to do that first before it happens in Long Island. See, I disagree. I, well, I don't know if I disagree, but I feel like if you're going to buy real estate as a company, you want to be near a metropolitan area because that's where the jobs are, right? Well, they're Las Vegas, Phoenix, right, they right. said. So. So why wouldn't they want to come? I mean, obviously there's 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 markets out there that have you know have lower tax burdens and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. But even in those situations, like, do you think like, like, do you think everything is going to be like an Avalon community, except no. homes? Like, like, oh, if you want to get in that house, your neighbor, you need to rent it for five grand a month because X Y Z Corporation owns it. Uh, and, and is every other house in the neighborhood going to be that in the future? I don't think so. I mean, it may be in some neighborhoods, but I don't think so. You um, don't think but, maybe if the wealth the wealth gap grows enough? Well, so that that brings up something interesting I want to talk about. So we talk about the wealth gap, right? Like this pandemic has actually widened the wealth gap, right? And we think about it in terms of people. Like you have the Jeff Bezoses, the Elon Musk, right? All these the richest people in the world just becoming exponentially wealthier wealthier and and they have more money than you know than as any one person has ever had in history and then you know you have the poorest who are you know really need the living on the government right now but mm-hmm. if you think about it in terms of and this goes back to are we in a bubble is the housing market going to crash think about that in terms of countries the US is the wealthiest country right every country and the reason all these foreign investors are coming to the US cuz every major economy right now every country has been completely wrecked by COVID. Their economies have been wrecked. Now, the U.S., I think it was uh, more than 50% of all American adults have received at least one vaccine, right? That's because Pfizer, Moderna, these are American companies. This is this is where it's happening. Now, if you're in a third world country, you're not having a vaccine rollout like that. That's a crazy point. If you're in other that. countries, even like Canada's still locked down, Europe's still struggling, even all these other countries are struggling just to get back on their feet. So the U.S. is going to get on its feet first. The U.S. now has more money pouring into it from investors and everything else, right? And all these other countries are still struggling. So I think if you think about it, look at uh, think about it in terms of the wealth gap between countries, the the U.S. is going to continue to have money pour into it right. from all over the world. Now the That's only reason that that changes that. is if the U.S. government and if the U.S. work if the if the American workforce gets back to work faster than other countries right. they're able to pay their bills the only thing in my mind so the only thing that stops that is socialism in the u.s government if that gets to a tipping point where we start to really become a socialist country then at that point yes everything's crashing but if that does not happen i have a very positive outlook You're very bullish yeah i mean listen and there's still a lot of problems there's still a lot of things we have to be concerned about right so i'm not saying it's all uh, you know, blue skies and butterflies. Well, think but about this. So here's another article. It kind of segues right into it, right? In some cities, price appreciation outpaces salaries. 
Right. So the appreciation that people are making on homes is outpacing their salaries. So with homes, uh, with home prices surging, owners are in the same areas earned more via price appreciation over the last year from their than than from their salary. According to a new study from Point Two Homes, an online real estate marketplace, in 2020, the net increase in home prices outstripped homeowners' salaries uh, in 15 of the largest U.S. metros, with the difference ranging from a mere $38 to up to nearly $60,000. So, if home this also is going to affect affordability. Mm-hmm. If homes are appreciating at a pace that out outpaces people's salaries by double Mm -hmm. they're not gonna be able to afford homes if that's the case these companies are gonna come in they're gonna buy the houses they're gonna put the people in the houses and the people are gonna rent right but the numbers still have to make sense and that listen that's just logical right i mean housing prices have gone up in in most areas over 10 percent year over year has have salaries gone up 10 percent year over year no no salaries are remain generally the same right so here's something interesting there's a New York uh, bill, and it's requiring uh, an explanation for co-op buyers being rejected. So, in New York, it's been it, history. History is, and the way it is right now, if a co-op denies you for any reason, they they simply do not have to give you any kind of explanation. There's a bill being passed right now that actually requires them to explain why. Mm-hmm. Now. What is your thought on this whole situation? I support it. I mean, listen, you should. If uh, if you're going to deny, if a co-op board, if a co-op board is going to deny a potential buyer, mm-hmm. then you you should. What's you should always operate in my mind, ethically, morally, legally. So, so if if, if you're going to deny someone, there shouldn't be anything shady there. And if there's nothing shady there, you should have no problem giving a reason. The, the only. In my mind, the only re- uh, reason you have a problem telling someone why they're denied is if you because it was immoral or unethical or illegal. Yeah, I totally agree. Now, I, I think there should be transparency in the process. I think that if you're getting denied, you should know why. Um, and it, it, I don't know why the owners of these co-ops aren't in favor of that as well because, believe it or not, co-ops have an average much lower price point than a condo for this exact reason because most people refuse to buy a co-op because they don't want to get they don't want to get tied up with people on that board that they may have an issue with that might hold them up from selling it or or what have you right so it says uh the gap between the condo the co-op and the condo values uh continues to swell in new york city in the first quarter of this year, the average price per square foot for a condominium apartment was 1,714 square feet compared with 1,054 for a co-op. So, I mean, if they did take this away and it became something that, you know, they had to actually provide an explanation, you'd probably see a lot less people get denied. The, the only reason you should be able to deny someone for real estate is a financial reason. If they can afford to pay the mortgage and the taxes... I or, you know, whatever agree. other fees are there. Completely agree. Then that's fine. Completely agree. Um, mortgage rates back near 3%. They're going back down again mm-hmm. um, in the short term. But the the article does write, despite the pause in mortgage rate uh, raises recently, we expect them to increase modestly for the remainder of this year. So... The, the general consensus is that they are going to go up, mm-hmm. which is going to hurt, you know, erode uh, buyers' borrowing power a little bit. 
the marijuana business is fueling real estate demand. So crazy story about this. Um, are, uh, have you ever been to a state since marijuana has been legalized and seen what that's like? I don't know. No. Okay. No. So I go out to Colorado like seven years ago, seven, eight years ago. And uh, I have a friend out there. The friend is in the marijuana business. Mm-hmm. He was growing, growing weed and selling it. Because in the, at the time, this was not taboo out there. This was like what everyone was doing. Everyone was jumping on the bandwagon. It was like the, it was like the gold rush mm-hmm. um, of 1949, right? So we go out there. We drive into a business park. I get out of the car mm-hmm. in the middle of a business park. So think like you're in the middle of like Crossways Park, right? Mm-hmm. You get out the car, all you smell is weed. Mm-hmm. You're like, what is going on? Mm-hmm. Every building there had these insane farms of marijuana, mm-hmm. just trees and trees and trees, and they take up a lot of space. So now this is going to be legalized. Right? So it's, it's already legalized like, it's like in New indoor York. farmland. It's indoor farmland, and that is going to eat up warehouse space. Mm-hmm. It's between Amazon and marijuana farms, because the weed is all grown hydroponically now. They're not going to do it outdoors. Yeah, it doesn't make sense to do it that right? way. Right? So, but they, they use a ton of electricity. They have like all the lamps and everything. Mm-hmm. It's going to be very interesting. You know, all those traditional warehouse spaces where you got. You know, people operating businesses that 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 need storage mm-hmm. for some something is going to turn into that. It's a different different world, man. But they say that that's that's it's changing. It's changing everything around the country with regards to demand because now all of a sudden, I mean, all every every state who has an issue that needs to raise money mm-hmm. is legalizing marijuana. Right. Um, vacant commercial buildings to be converted to affordable housing. I don't like this. And marijuana farms. I don't like... Well, yes, and marijuana farms. That's a good point. You could probably grow a marijuana farm in an office environment. But uh, a lot of these buildings that we see now, they're going to have a lot of empty office space. We talked about this last week. I Mm -hmm. thought it was interesting. There's an article. Um, A lot of it's going to be converted into affordable housing. If it is converted into affordable housing, a lot of these business communities that you see specifically in like the New York City area or... You know, like Hopog has a big mm-hmm. business community, um, Hicksville, mm-hmm. right? Hicksville's more manufacturing though, right? Uh, Hicksville's yeah, more manufacturing. Well, the, the traditional business buildings might be turned into housing complexes. But the, the reason that it has a possible negative effect is because on taxes, because those, yes. those uh, the affordable housing is not... You know, it's it's gonna have lower taxes, but it still needs to be paid for. So it's usually the surrounding area that's gonna make up the difference. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Some states will pay home buyers student loans. You see this? No. This is a new thing now. Illinois and Maryland recently launched a smart buy program that will pay off student loan for young adults who get a mortgage in their state. I don't understand that. Why? Because yeah. they're paying real estate taxes. They want people then? living there. They want people living there. They're trying to get people to move there. Yep. There's already things in place, though. So, for example, Illinois is offering to pay up to 40000 student loans uh, for student loan balance that is 15% of the home purchase price, whichever is lower. Forbes.com reports on the program. The, the program is also offering up to $5,000 towards the down payment or closing cost, but the purchase price 
of the home is capped depending upon the geographic location and some other factors. The upper limit is between three twenty-five and five hundred thousand dollars. Isn't Chicago already in like some serious debt? I think every, is it, most states are. Yeah, I, mean, how, how, <laughs> I don't know. We, we should look that up. Actually, that's that's kind of crazy though. I mean, if there's a program like that in New York, I mean, I paid off my student loan, so it doesn't help me. But it's something that you know we could offer out to buyers who who have student loan debt. Yeah. That's it, though, Mike. That's it for the news. Good little discussion. Anything else to add? Uh, no. No, I think we covered it all. Happy to be back for a third week in a row. Well, yeah. well if this wasn't a record week, we'll set the record next Tomorrow, week. Every week, week every week going forward is a record week. That's it. All right, guys. Uh, if you want to contact us, you can give us a call at 516-888-9711. We're always uh, recruiting agents here at the Passion Lands Alotta team. Um our email is info at pl-team.com, and our website is www.pl-team.com. If you want to get in touch with us, uh, thank you so much for listening, and we'll see you next week. Bye.